Next, this month's special series, Focus on Cancer. Throughout the month of April, ReachMD talks to experts in the field about new research channels and treatment options in cancer care. Early diagnosis of bladder cancer is a significant step towards survival. Over the years, findings have suggested that women and African Americans are particularly vulnerable to the disease, and oftentimes we are delayed in our diagnosis and subsequent treatment of these more highly susceptible populations. What are the most effective steps we can take to improve our recognition of bladder cancer earlier in its progression? You are listening to ReachMD Radio, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to a special segment, Focus on Cancer. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, Professor of Surgery and Practicing General Surgeon, and our guest is Dr. Gary Steinberg, Professor and Vice Chairman of Urology and Director of Urologic Oncology at the University of Chicago Pritzker School of Medicine. Welcome, Dr. Steinberg. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Dr. Steinberg, what are the key issues here with respect to bladder cancer relative to gender and race? Well, I think that it's critically important that we raise our awareness of bladder cancer. Bladder cancer is a disease that remarkably very few people know much about, although it is the fourth most common cancer in men in the United States and the fifth most common cancer in women, the fifth most common cancer overall in the United States. Women certainly can and do get bladder cancer, and all too often it's not part of the differential diagnosis. I think that we need to increase our awareness of our patients so that they know more about bladder cancer, as well as spread the word to our primary care physicians. What are the most common presenting symptoms in a woman? Unfortunately, many symptoms of bladder cancer may be thought to be related to urinary tract infection. However, bladder cancer clearly is related to blood in the urine, and that if you see blood in a patient's urine, whether they're male or female, that is something that should be investigated. Now, it may be something easy like a urinalysis and a urine culture. However, if there's no signs of infection in that urine sample, certainly bladder cancer must be given more thought. Bladder cancer is easy to diagnose, but we have to get that first step. Well, what happens if a patient calls a primary care physician and says that they've got some urinary tract symptoms and they've got some blood in their urine and the physician will start them on empiric antibiotics and then indeed when they do come in the office and they take a culture, you're not going to find a bacteria growing because they're on antibiotics. Should those patients get cystoscopy? Should they be worked up further? What exactly should the primary care physician do? I think the important thing is to assess the patient population, the age of the patient, risk factors, and so forth. But in an ideal situation, any patient that has urinary symptoms and blood in their urine should have urine dropped off or a urine culture prior to receiving an antibiotic. You certainly can prescribe them an antibiotic over the phone, but get that urine sample to be examined before they actually start on the antibiotics. If there's no signs of infection, then you clearly need to investigate more fully with imaging of the urinary tract. I like to use a CT scan as well as a cystoscopy. Would you start with the CT scan? In patients with gross hematuria, I believe that they should have a CT scan with oral and IV contrast to look at the urinary tract as well as to look at the kidneys, urinary tract, and bladder. And if the CT is negative, will you then routinely proceed to cystoscopy? I think to complete an evaluation for blood in the urine, 
that requires, in addition to a CT scan, a cystoscopy as well as a urine for cytology. And what in your study have you found in terms of the delay in diagnosis and the other important things we should remember? There's no question that bladder cancer can be a life-threatening disease. However, if it is diagnosed earlier, it can be completely cured, potentially even with medications and cystoscopies and biopsies. Some patients will require to have their bladder removed, but there's no question that there is a significant delay in diagnosis in the United States and that longer the delay in diagnosis, the more adverse the pathologic findings are and the lower the life expectancy. What is the average length of delay, if you can say? It's my impression in my tertiary care practice that many of the patients that I see that have been diagnosed with bladder cancer present initially with gross hematuria sometimes as long as 12 to 13 months before ever seeing a urologist. All too often, the gross hematuria from bladder cancer is intermittent. They will be treated with an empiric antibiotic and will not have a follow-up appointment to see if they still have blood in their urine after the antibiotic has been finished. They will then have another episode six months later and then another episode 12 months later. And it isn't until that third episode that a bell rings in somebody's head and it says, you know, maybe we should send this patient to a urologist. The time to send the patient to the urologist would have been with that first episode of gross hematuria. Can a patient present with gross hematuria secondary to a bladder cancer and still have a concomitant infection? Yes, absolutely. I think that there are patients that have irritative avoiding symptoms that can be masked and thought to be an infection. I think that patients also with bladder tumors can have some urinary tract infection from incomplete emptying from pain when they avoid and so they're not emptying their bladder completely. So certainly, after that patient has been treated with their antibiotic, you want to have another urine sample to make sure that the hematuria has resolved. Are there other differences in patients who have bladder cancer in their presentation comparing men and women? Men commonly present with gross hematuria. By the time a man has irritative avoiding symptoms, they typically have very large tumors. Many women have urinary symptoms of frequency and urgency in nocturia related to childbearing and a host of aging factors, loss of estrogen and progesterone and so forth. So I think that a bladder tumor in a woman can be thought to be due to normal aging processes and that all too often those symptoms are written off or not thought to be related to bladder cancer. I think that what's critically important is that bladder cancer needs to be in the differential diagnosis for these patients. If you have just joined us, you are listening to ReachMD Radio, the channel for medical professionals. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan-Hill, and our guest is Dr. Gary Steinberg, Professor and Vice Chairman of Urology and Director of Urologic Oncology at the University of Chicago Pritzker School of Medicine. We're discussing keys to avoiding unnecessary delays in the diagnosis of bladder cancer. Dr. Steinberg, What about the difference with respect to race? Why is there a disparity? That's less clear. There's no question that bladder cancer is more common in Caucasians than it is in African Americans in the United States. Having said that, worldwide, bladder cancer is a very common disease. We see bladder cancer in Asia, India, all of the European countries. It clearly is related to carcinogenic exposures from the environment, potentially from the food we eat, and as well as the cigarettes we smoke. 
there's no question that there are differences in the way we metabolize all of these carcinogens that we come in contact with. There may be subtle metabolic differences in the way carcinogens are metabolized in Caucasians versus African Americans, but that has never been elucidated. Now, I know in medical school, we're all taught if someone presents with gross hematuria, that being a male and they smoke cigarettes, I always think about bladder cancer. Does cigarette smoking in the female have the same problem with respect to bladder cancer? Absolutely. What happens when we smoke cigarettes is that the nicotine is first absorbed by our lungs and then it goes into our bloodstream. That then goes to our kidneys and the Nicotine is metabolized by our kidneys, and the metabolic waste is excreted by the kidneys into the urine. It is that metabolite of nicotine which has been proven to be carcinogenic to the urinary tract. So whether it's a male or a female, the carcinogenic effect of nicotine is a well-described phenomenon that we've known about for many, many years. And it's these carcinogens that are in the urinary tract that cause bladder cancer. Now, if you could review the different treatment modalities when someone does have a bladder cancer, when do you treat this chemically, when do you treat it through cystoscopic means, and when do you have to take out the bladder? The most important findings when we diagnose bladder cancer are the grade of the tumor and the stage of the tumor. The most common patient has a low-grade non-invasive tumor. When we look at all comers with bladder cancer at the time of diagnosis, 70 to 80% of patients will have non-muscle invasive tumors, and of those, 50% will have low-grade non-invasive tumors. These tumors are a nuisance. They have a high recurrence rate, but they rarely progress to high-grade or invasive tumors, and they are rarely life-threatening. Those are the tumors that can be treated with cystoscopy, with trimming those tumors out, and on occasion, using intravascular chemotherapeutic agents such as mitomycin C. What is more problematic are the high-grade non-muscle invasive tumors as well as the high-grade muscle invasive tumors. High-grade non-muscle invasive tumors have a likelihood of coming back, but more worrisome, they have about a 30 to 40% likelihood of progressing to muscle invasive disease and beyond. These tumors need to be resected, very carefully followed, initially treated with intravesical immunotherapy, something called BCG, which is a form of immune therapy or vaccine to decrease the recurrence rate and or progression rate. Nonetheless, patients need to be followed very carefully because up to 30 to 40% of these patients ultimately can and will die of bladder cancer. Muscle invasive disease is probably best treated with surgery, surgical removal of the bladder, with reconstruction, one of the things that we think are very important for muscle invasive bladder cancer is the use of perioperative chemotherapy, either before surgery or after surgery. This is chemotherapy that is given by into the veins of the patient, but that we think that with a combination of surgery and systemic chemotherapy, we can decrease the recurrence rate and improve survival with bladder cancer. Generally speaking, when you do have to take someone for surgical resection of the bladder, are we talking about a total cystectomy with an ileal conduit, or can you do partial resections? Most commonly, the patient should have their entire bladder removed. Now, there are some patients, 5% of patients or so, that may be ideal candidates to have just part of the bladder removed. But in general, most patients that have muscle invasive disease should have the entire bladder removed. However, the vast majority of my patients are treated with not stomas or ileal conduits, 
but continent urinary diversions. And so we perform uh, urinary reconstruction so that patients can maintain their continence as well as maintain the timing and volition of actual elimination of their urine. Could you explain that? Well, we have two types of continent reconstructions. One type is something we call a neobladder, an orthotopic neobladder. And this is where I use some of the patient's small intestine and I construct it into the shape of a sphere and sew it to the urethra where the old bladder was. Ultimately, patients learn to void through this new bladder and out through the urethra. Other types of continent diversion where you cannot use the urethra, we build new bladders that patients have everything internal, but they do need to catheterize the new bladder through an opening in the skin. And that works very, very well. The most common type of procedure we use is something called an Indiana pouch. Now, going back to making the initial diagnosis and the correct diagnosis in females, what would you suggest? I mean, thinking back to medical school when we talk about hematuria in a female, does the training have to be changed? Absolutely. There was a recent survey that reported that only 13% of American medical students actually have any urology curriculum during their medical school. I think this clearly needs to change. We have an aging population. Urinary tract and urology problems are more prevalent in the aging population. I think we need to do a much, much better job in medical school. Also, once doctors and medical students are in the residency, I don't think we do enough teaching for the medical specialties, for the primary care physicians, there's not enough collaboration. But clearly, we need to improve our message that gross hematuria equals a bladder tumor until proven otherwise. Do you think that some of your colleagues might think that taking a patient with gross hematuria in a female and ruling out carcinoma might be a little bit of overkill? I would hope not. In my view, when we look at gross hematuria in all patients, whether they're male or female, we'll find something pathologically abnormal in at least 30% of those patients. So I think that that's actually a very high yield. And I think that for me, my cystoscope is a cardiologist stethoscope. And, and I think that we would not be afraid to place a stethoscope on anybody's chest. I think we also need to have a lower threshold for performing cystoscopy. That was well said. I want to thank our guest, Dr. Gary Steinberg. We've been discussing keys to avoiding unnecessary delays in the diagnosis of bladder cancer. I'm Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, and you have been listening to ReachMD Radio, the channel for medical professionals. ReachMD, online, on demand, and on air. Please visit us at ReachMD.com. And thank you for listening. You've been listening to this month's special series, Focus on Cancer. For a program guide, complete list of shows, and podcasts, please visit us at ReachMD.com.